When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Across the UK, online, on DAB, and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. Welcome to Midweek Wednesday, ladies and gentlemen, a day when there is much to celebrate. Who knew we would be so excited about getting a haircut? Who knew the sight and sound of a public house would be so utterly seductive? Who would have thought that the prospect of sitting around a table and ordering a plate of pasta with prawns would be quite so charming? Uh, Didn't have to have that, of course, could be anything. Well, that is exactly where we are, though, and it is entirely fitting that we should be very happy indeed that Prime Minister Boris Johnson yesterday lifted the lockdown universally because make no mistake, that is exactly what he did. I said it yesterday uh, and I'm saying it again today. Yesterday afternoon, we managed to spend a few pleasant hours in the company of some South London geezers outside a local pub, which if you came upon by accident, you would assume was basically open as normal. People were playing music, people were standing about drinking in the sunshine, uh, people were canoodling, uh, people were exchanging phone numbers, information, all manner of different things. It was as if... We were back, ladies and gentlemen, and as ever, we want to know what you're thinking, what you're doing, and what you're hearing about the economy coming bouncing back, because has Boris literally saved Britain? That's what I think he's done. Honestly, I think Boris, by doing what he did yesterday, has literally saved the economy, saved the uh, populace, and saved all of our hopes and all of our fears, and put them all into a box and gone, there you go, we're back. And here we are, 0344 499 1000. We kick off this morning uh, with the former political editor of The Sun, George Pascoe Watson. But we are also joined by archaeologist and historian Neil Oliver with his take on the week's events and travel guru Simon Calder, who will be on to explain exactly what's happening with the staycation scenario because it's looking more and more likely that, to be honest, we're not going abroad for a holiday this year because it's just going to be too complicated. 0344 499 1000. Coming up on homeschooling, we'll be learning all about yawning. Why do we do it? Why do other people who yawn make us yawn too? It's all going to be very fascinating. One thing you won't do when you listen to this show is yawn because you haven't got time, I'm afraid. Uh, and it's too interesting. Also, uh, it's yet another chapter of Prime Minister's Questions where Boris will go head to head with the world's most miserable man, Mr. Boring, Sir Keir Starmer. I mean, have you ever seen a more miserable visage uh, than the one he put on yesterday after Boris announced that basically we are back? We're opening up all the uh, pubs, we're opening up all the restaurants, we're opening up all the hotels. It was basically a charter for having a great time. Keir Starmer comes on and you'd think somebody had shot his mother. I mean, really, he looked absolutely the most miserable bloke I've ever seen in my life. 0344 499 1000. You're listening to me, Mike Graham, on the fastest growing radio station on the planet. It is, of course, Talk Radio. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. 
Let us go without further ado uh, to our top guest this morning, Mr George Pascoe Watson, who is, of course, Chairman of Portland Communications, former political editor of The Sun. George, a very good morning to you. Hey, good morning to everyone. All right, listen, I cannot help but tell you that I have a spring in my step this morning, a slightly extra uh, kind of bounce because of what was said yesterday, because it feels like, to me, Boris has literally saved the economy. Well, I can tell you're uh, bouncing around the walls there, and I think that's fantastic news. And I think lots and lots of our readers, will, uh, listeners, will be thinking exactly the same thing. Uh, this release is fantastic. But the important thing, Mike, is that that release is captured and converted into economic activity. We want what I would call a counter-revolution, by which I mean shop counters. We want people going out and re-energizing the economy by going to the pub, by having meals, by spending some money uh, on a staycation. We want people to go shopping. We want retail therapy. We want people to gather, but we want people to do it safely because let's be quite clear, COVID is still there and COVID is still very much alive and COVID uh, is a killer. Well, it is. And I mean, I have to say, yesterday I decided to celebrate slightly prematurely uh, after the uh, Boris announcement. And I went to a local pub around the back of the Shard here in London. Um, And already after the first drink was purchased, people were coming in through the wrong door. They weren't actually adhering to the one way system that was supposed to be in place. And I'm thinking to myself, for God's sake, guys, you know, come on, we've only been doing this for about, you know, 10 minutes. Would you mind just adhering to the uh, to the rules? And I think it's quite important that we, we stress that because too many idiots might cause a problem. Uh, definitely true you know we need to celebrate but we need to celebrate in safety because it's for all of our own goods number one and number two of course the prime minister has made it abundantly clear that uh, if this disease comes back in, in the way that we fear it might then of course it all gets shut down again so it listen it's in all of our hands it's a bit like a ming vase we need to protect it hold it tenderly and enjoy our freedom really not take it for granted, but to to behave responsibly. We owe it to each other, we owe it to ourselves, and collectively, uh, we need to uh, treat it uh, with respect. Yes, and lots has been said, George, about the economy and the damage that's been done to the economy and how there is this kind of, um, you know, delayed effect, if you like, of the furloughing system. But, I mean... You know, I've always said, and, and, and I've been consistent in this, that three months of a shutdown is one thing. You know, nine months of a shutdown is something completely different. I believe very firmly that this will uh, enable the economy to come back in one way or another. You know, we have had lots of money spent in the, in the retail food sector. We have had lots of money spent online. You know, it's not as if the economy has completely closed. Well, it's a mixed bag. Um, if, if you want some positive news, there was some positive economic news yesterday, which is reported in some of the papers this morning, which is that uh, the evidence shows that in manufacturing and various other uh, industrial sectors, the signs are beginning to show that there is even a chance of what they call a V-shaped recovery, which I think may be optimistic, but that's what the numbers suggest anyway. So there's good reason to be optimistic uh, that things will begin to return to normal, what we call a bounce back. Mm. But, you know, let's be quite candid. There are many people listening to this and and who are out there who have not fared well, whose businesses have have fallen over or will fall over or will not find their way back to work. And we have to be honest about that. And we can't just let that go. We need to find a way of reinventing our economy making it the economy that this country really needs. 
and retraining and reskilling people and giving them hope and enthusiasm and optimism for their own futures. Yes, exactly right. And I've seen the usual kind of uh, suspects this morning poo-pooing the kind of opening of pubs and the opening of restaurants and the opening of hotels. But in actual fact, that is a massive part of our economy. You know, tourism itself generates, you know, by far and away, probably one of the biggest single uh, income streams to this country. And one of the things that people have said to me about what's missing in central London at the moment, because it's still quite quiet, is the tourism. Because there's nobody here from anywhere else. And normally speaking, certainly at this time of year, if not all the year round now, you know, by, 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 by some measure, about 50% of the people you run into in places like Leicester Square and Trafalgar Square are from some other country. Right. And there are massive implications that we don't think about. Mm. For instance, what about the Bureau de Change, the, the money changing uh, industry? That's mm. a really big thing. Uh, a lot of people say, hey, this is a big move to the cashless society. We're all going to have tap contactless cards. But listen, I'll tell you, loads and loads of countries, different cultures still rely on cash. Uh, and they, they take the cash, they go straight into uh, the department stores and they spend the money. And that's a big deal. We think about aviation. We think one of the reasons that people are not here is because of the quarantine system. that the government so badly needs to move off um, to allow the free traffic of people. But of course, that then runs the risk of importing more COVID into the country. So it's a very delicate balance. But we do need to find uh, an answer to the question. Tourism is critical, but we need to make sure that tourism is safe. And where is it, do you think, that Boris Johnson has got the science now to say we can be led out of this pandemic? We can now uh, consider ourselves to be much safer than we were even just one month ago. Because for those people who are kind of, uh, shall we say, sceptical about trusting the government, how does he go about convincing them that he's right about this? Well, you're right. I mean, the science is the thing which uh, gives us all faith that there is some credibility and that people are not making decisions uh, you know, unwisely. And we know that the Prime Minister has been personally very split on this issue. Uh, we know that uh, public opinion privately seen by Downing Street suggests that people are terrified of, of uh, the end of lockdown. But I think opinion is beginning to change on that. On the science, the critical thing is, do we have a test and trace programme which is credible and is beginning to work uh, and that requires all of us to participate? And the answer is... Yes, we do. Yes, there have been difficult headlines, and by all means, it's not a fully formed uh, service yet, but it is on its way to mm. being so. And I think that has given them the confidence that there will be measures in place um, such that we can deal with uh, an another small outbreak locally uh, where it should happen, uh, and that the NHS uh, is absolutely equipped now to deal with whatever uh, is thrown at it. Well, this is true, isn't it? Because we've seen in other countries, and specifically those countries who were told, who we were told were performing better than us, you know, for example, Germany, you know, they've had an outbreak, but they haven't had to lock down an entire town or an entire country. Uh, they've been able to uh, isolate the, the problem and shut down just where that isolated area is. And that's what I'll expect here in the UK as well. Very, very micro local is what I'm talking about. Uh, a, a small outbreak in a factory or a business uh, a, a, a local housing estate, something like that, where you can get real data, real information, and you can uh, deal with the problem on a micro level. And I think that's what we intend to do. And I, I also think there's a sense that um, although the science is split, there are 80 plus scientists on the government's scientific advisory group, not every, of them, uh, every one of them agrees with each other, that, but the bulk of the opinion is moving in this direction. Don't forget also, I think you've been making the point about Mike religiously, is that 
lockdown is not without its health implications in and of itself. And there is a balance to be struck about what is good for people uh, and what is bad for people. Yes, quite. And and there is still a little bit, I suppose, of resentment out there in the big wide world of business. For example, gym owners saying, you know, why can't we open? Why is it that you're allowing pubs to open? Why is it you're allowing restaurants to open, but we cannot open our gym? And an awful lot of people I know personally are very frustrated because they want to get back to being able to do some kind of, you know, physical exercise, which doesn't involve them doing it in front of loads of other people in the street. And you're right. You know, there are many, many uh sectors who are still in lockdown still unable to 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 work still unable to open its doors uh, and that is a real problem and i know that ministers are gripped off that and they are working very very quickly to try and get them the 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 opening day that they need but you know we shouldn't just assume that because pubs and the sort of hospitality trade are beginning to open and retail that it's all great news for everybody there are many people who still need the green light and they still need customers. This is the point for our listeners this morning. People need to actually use the facilities that are being open again. And this is where the confidence really comes in. People need to feel confident that if they go out and start spending money and buying things and mingling, that they will be okay. Uh, and that if they're not okay, that there is a, a sound uh, and trustworthy process in place that if they have symptoms, that they will be treated and they'll be treated well. Yeah. Now, I was talking to a friend of mine who works in the consulting business, which is not a million miles away from from what you do, George. Um, And she was telling me that in New York, where she works, the company is not actually going to repopulate its office until January. Now, I don't know what that means for for big businesses which are global in nature and which are very much tied to um, uh, solving kind of problems long term for corporations. What are you hearing about that kind of thing? Well, I think that's an accurate reflection around the world. And uh, I know that most businesses who are uh, like ours, consultancies or businesses which are basically office-based, are very reluctant to rush back. Uh, Actually, working from home has been very successful in most cases, and uh, there haven't been any downsides. In fact, there have been more productive upsides. So I think nobody's in a rush to get back. And there are, are implications there for... Uh, commercial property landlords, the big businesses who own those massive uh, downtown tower blocks. Yeah. Uh, but that's a big problem for them because where, where's their rent going to come from? Well, but are- also just for the mainstream sort of culture as well, because, I mean, you know America as well as I do. There's an awful lot of cities in the US of A uh, where nothing much happens in the centre of town. Um, and it becomes a kind of a, a place where poor people live. Uh, rich people move out of the suburb, out to the suburbs. They set up these kind of you know out of town malls for shopping. They set up out of town kind of industrial uh, areas for people to work in. And the city itself dies. I mean, I would hate to see London suddenly kind of becoming a bit of a ghost town in the centre of it because people decide to move away. And, and we haven't even mentioned theatres, of course, who are no. one of the big problems with all of this uh, and who are really at risk. And, uh, and I think, I hope that the, the good sense of people will be eventually that, that people do need to work together and they do need to move back to an office-based culture. It also drives so many other spin-offs in town. The transport sector obviously needs people to need to be transported. Mm. So all of these things are highly interdependent. And my hunch is, Mike, that at some point, leaders of cities and leaders uh, in politics will have to urge people to get back into uh, the city. But for now, of course, we're trying to stage things uh, gently at a time so that by the time we get to the autumn, 
we are back running again and and it's it's basically by stage. Yes, because I'm also hearing, and I don't know whether you've seen the story, uh, I think it's going to be in the standard today, uh, that Sadiq Khan is going to abandon City Hall, move to some kind of newer uh, gleaming headquarters in the East End and likely to be somewhere near Newham, uh, saving the business uh, of government locally 55 million quid. Well, there you go. I mean, that is a shining example of somebody who is changing the way the place that they were to a to save money either for the business or in this case for taxpayers uh and whoever is the owner of that building is going to say right who's going to move in if they can't find uh, a new tenant then that's a big problem so yes. it, it's all it's it's important that the mayor does the right thing for taxpayers but it's also important that um this action doesn't remove a very healthy and important income for people are you sure that you don't want to utilise uh, City Hall as the new world headquarters of Portland Communications? It, it, it's, it sort of feels <laughs> like it, it could be my new office, so uh, I'll be on the phone to City after this. Yes, it's a very, it's a very uh, lovable uh, area and it's a very, uh, very good location. But George, thank you very much indeed. George Pascoe Watson, former political editor of The Sun, chairman, of course, of Portland Communications, telling us how important it is uh, that business gets back to normal. But the, the lifting of the, the various uh, lockdown rules from yesterday uh, when, when Boris Johnson got up in the House of Commons and, and said that basically you can now open hotels, you can now open hairdressers, you can go and get your hair cut, you can go to the pub, you can go to a restaurant. All of that is very, very good news indeed. But let us not forget, and you may well be one of those people affected by this, that there are lots of other businesses which are not allowed to open. For example, gyms, for example, theatres, for example, cinemas, although uh, we are told that cinemas may be opening at some point soon in the near future. We're also hearing that Thorpe Park and various other theme parks might be opening soon as well. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. Prime Minister's questions today, of course. Charlotte Ivers will be here uh, watching it with us. Uh, Keir Starmer will also be there looking as miserable as he does uh, every single week. Boris Johnson will be there, no doubt, looking as dishevelled as he does every single week. If it was anything like last week, it was actually quite entertaining and we did quite enjoy it. This is when Boris turned the tables on poor old Sir Keir and asked him five times no less whether he would announce that schools were safe to reopen uh, and Keir Starmer completely and utterly rejected any way shape or form of an answer and just didn't answer the question whatsoever but now uh, a man that does answer questions and a man who knows a thing or two about the traveling business uh, is Simon Calder who is of course uh, our favorite travel guru travel editor for the independent uh, he's going to tell us now about how basically we're all going to have to do a staycation this year because there's absolutely no chance of going anywhere uh, which involves flying uh, training it uh, or crossing any sort of sea. Simon, a very good morning to you. Uh, Mike, very nice to talk to you. If I sound a little hesitant, that's because I've got Grant Shapps in my other ear. He's giving evidence to the Transport oh Select Committee. Right. Um, so I'm hoping that we might get some kind of guidance on something. Right. But um, at the moment, it's not looking uh, too promising. Well, the trouble with um, Grant Shapps, of course, is every time he opens his mouth, he gets contradicted by the Prime Minister. So no matter what he says, I would take it with a pinch of salt. <laughs> well, yes, um, uh, but uh, he's. I, I, I think the technical term is likely to get a bit of a kicking. I'm afraid from the uh, Transport Select Committee because yes. um, uh, over over, for example, the um, quarantine policy, which um, as I think you and I have perhaps discussed, um, this is uh, from an original idea by Dominic Cummings, has no basis in uh, medical advice or anything like that. No, but he is desperately having to defend the uh, destruction of the UK travel industry because. Um, 
uh, Dominic Cummings told uh, Boris Johnson it would get him a few more votes. So yes. there we are. I'm not, not necessarily going to get any answers. <laughs> if I do get one, you will be the first to know. But can we also pick up on trains? I heard you talking to Cornelius a few minutes ago. Yeah. And you were speculating about how... Um, uh, it was possible to get on a train from Cardiff to London Paddington. It's not. Do not do that. You're not allowed. You're not allowed to do anything, as you were rightly saying, in Wales. Um, it's basically still under lockdown. And there is no way that um, uh, you or I can go there for anything like a holiday. Um, the First Minister of um, Wales, Mark Drakeford, has basically just said, everybody stay in. It's still on the stay-at-home stage. Right. Um, I think you're allowed to maybe go five kilometres. Five miles, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, visit Wales says, please do not visit Wales at this time. Avoid all unnecessary travel within Wales. Um, we look forward to welcoming you back in future. I think that means you as well, Mike. Yes, I'm um, afraid. I, they, well, they know me well in Cardiff. They don't want me back, yeah. I'm afraid. Um, now, there, there is a hint that we <laughs> might be able to reopen um, accommodation without shared facilities where social distancing is possible from the 13th of July. But frankly, the chances of you and I heading for um, Barry Island mm. or Llandidno right. anytime soon for some fun. What about the Brecon Beacons? pretty low to me. But you know Brecon, what, Simon, oh, Does gosh, it not yeah. strike you as slightly odd that you've got an organisation called Visit Wales, right, who tell you not to visit Wales? Maybe they should yes. call it Don't Visit Wales, uh, rename the company, because it would make more yeah. sense. I mean, what is wrong with them? Uh, well, look, that, but, but, but nothing's wrong with them. It, it, they are taking their own view. If you look at the relative rates, and forgive me, I haven't studied the exact rate for Wales, but I do know, for example, not, uh, Republic of Ireland and Northern Ireland are way below the English rates. And so, therefore, you know, they might want to impose their own quarantine across the Irish Sea. Mm. In fact, the opposite is happening and they are opening up a week from now. Uh, the Republic opens up two days after that. So a day ahead of England, um, Northern Ireland will open up. And that's the first first time that you or I will be able to go overseas for a for a holiday for months and months. Yes. Um, so, so the last time, you, the last time you and I spoke, Simon, you were at Edinburgh Park yeah. Station having flown up to uh, Glasgow. Yes, yes on exactly. A, on, yeah. on, oh. on, on EasyJet, right? So yeah. how come you were able to move around with such alacrity uh, where nobody else can? Well, didn't you see there was a tweet saying um, after after we spoke, um, somebody put out, I want Police Scotland to arrest him. Um, <laughs> they didn't mean you, they meant me. Seriously. Right, right. Quite right, too. Um, I mean, so there are I, many I reasons. I legged it out of there to Dublin Airport where I sat around for a few hours and then came back but to this Bristol. Is, I mean, this um, is the thing. This is how there's a kind of bizarre uh, inconsistency with the governance of each of the countries of the United Kingdom. You know, this is yeah. why I would say devolution was a terribly bad idea because the idea that these tin pots of dictators in Edinburgh uh, and in Cardiff and in Northern Ireland think that they can say, this is what we're doing because we don't like Boris Johnson. Meanwhile, the people of Britain can't actually act as if they are as one. Uh, look, there's been many, many things which have gone wrong um, in many, many ways in this um, coronavirus thing. But I don't think you can say to um, uh, Nicola Sturgeon, um, you're doing it all wrong. You've got to do what we tell you in London. I think that would be a very, very uh, rapid um, uh, way to get um, uh, Scotland voting to be independent. Um, I, I, you know, I, I think it's entirely up to them. I'm excited by the prospect of going to Northern Ireland and going and staying in a hotel and buying a pint of beer mm. in the UK, which I will be doing. Um, maybe we can talk from there on uh, uh, in, in nine days from now. Yes, um, uh, that will be uh, quicker. You'll than have to I go into the, the Crown opposite the Europa Hotel. I will. Yes, one of the but great you're still pubs banned the from there, aren't you? Uh, no, but it is one of the places <laughs> where a man was shot dead by the IRAs, which is why I like going there. 
Oh, crikey. Yeah, right. just inside the door on the right-hand side, the oh. first table. Guy came in, put his gun to the head of the guy sitting there, blew it away. Oh, no. Yeah. Right. Crikey. Well, that, that, uh, that, uh, sad, sad times. Um, but no, the, 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 the whole travel industry is in a total mess because, of course, if you're going to go uh, and stay at a hotel in the UK, then everything is going to be different. I mean, I know that you normally rely on valet parking. Well, that's not going to happen. No. Um, the the uh, nice man or woman who carries your bags to your room, that's not going to happen. Right. Uh, if you want to use the pool, you're going to have to book it exclusively for yourself. Well, I do that anyway. Your household. Yes, I always do that. Exactly. I mean, otherwise, what's yeah. the point? You know what I mean? But listen, um, when they say hotels can open, which is what the Prime Minister said yesterday, um, I'm slightly yeah. confused about that because I don't really know how hotels can open. One, if they don't have any um, uh, customers. And two, yeah. um, exactly what services, as you quite rightly say, can they offer? Well, they can offer you or I the chance actually to go and stay somewhere by the seaside and um, have something like a holiday. Mm. So they'll be doing the usual stuff. And normally they should be just really really busy at this time of day just looking forward to july and august um and they will be doing what they do which is um you know accommodating you so that you can spend the days going off having modest adventures of course until the fourth of july you won't be able to go go to any tourist attractions um and and the the, the main problem I mean, you've got a car haven't you Mark? i have because well, yes, nice well, i haven't oh I'm, I'm, what, what sort is it just the range rover Oh, is it? Oh, yes. crikey. Yeah. Okay. Nice. If you see me, see me thumbing anytime, then um, uh, do, do, do uh, bear, bear, bear me in mind. It takes up almost um, the whole road so that cyclists can't go round me. Yes. Well, I am just a cyclist and I'm reduced to going no further than I can reach in a day on a bicycle. Well, that's the trouble, you um, greenies, isn't it? You can't go anywhere because you, you, you haven't got the means by which to travel. You know, this is 2020, Simon. You should get yourself something yeah. motorised so you can actually go uh, somewhere. Well, but I've always relied on trains. But now you have this bizarre situation where the government is paying the train operators billions of pounds to run empty trains. I've checked. I look at I look at trains as they're going past and see maybe two people or whatever. <laughs> um, and, and we are not allowed to travel on them. Uh, we're allowed to travel in your Range Rover. Well, not all of us. That would be um, you, you're very welcome to come in as long as you get yourself tested first. Right. Okay. Thank you very much. <laughs> uh, best offer I've had all day. Um, so the yeah, it, it's an absolute mess. So there will be tens of millions of Brits who who are told, yeah, you can go to the seaside. Yeah, but how are we going to get there? Mm. Oh no, you can't, can't, can't go there. Obviously, um, you know, unless you can cycle or walk, um, you're going to have to stay at home, mm. uh, which is which is a little bit bizarre. It is, um, isn't but it? The, yes. I've got I've got friends who are hoping. Um, against hope that at some point before, say, this, the middle of August, they might be able to put their car onto a Eurotunnel train and go to France. What do you make of yeah. that? Oh, yeah. You're going to be able to go on holiday abroad um, really very quickly. Uh, so the quarantine idea, which we have uh, previously discussed, um, causing immense damage, of course, emotionally to people who mm. are desperately to, to see people, uh, see, see friends and and relatives to the travel industry to everybody else um the government and indeed the person who's in my right ear at the moment grant shapps um is desperately trying to find some way to limit the damage and they will do that by coming up with these so-called air bridges yes. or um travel corridors which are basically just kind of yeah we know it's a stupid idea but we've got to pretend that we're tough and so we're going to keep it in place except for places that people most of them want to go to so france spain right. italy greece portugal they will all get one um but then 
it's all going to kick off, isn't it? Because if Croatia doesn't get one, if Turkey doesn't get one, Morocco, Egypt, Tunisia, um, plucky Luxembourg, if they don't get them, they're going to be furious. Yeah, what's wrong with us? we got a lower rate than some of that lot. So um, it's going to get very messy very quickly. And that's what happens if you introduce policies because you think they're going to be popular rather than because they're a good idea. Yes, but I mean, like an awful lot of what the government has done over the course of the last several weeks, Simon, I would have to say that much of it has been done uh, for one reason or another, not necessarily for the obvious reason. For example, I think the quarantine idea was not put in in order to uh, punish people. It was put in in order to dissuade people from travelling. And it's worked pretty well. And at some point or other, uh, once it becomes clear that you can go to Spain without having a piece of uh, emery board stuck up your nose uh, and down the back of your throat, uh, actually, you might be able to go there and have a nice holiday. Uh, yes, um, except, of course, the Foreign Office still warns against all but essential travel. Well, it does at the moment, but it might not in a month. Oh, oh, no, I'm pretty confident that from the 4th of July, um, then the government will kind of ease off on the brakes and you will be able to go to some uh, prescribed countries. And then you're going to have the weird thing, if they haven't changed the, the train rules, that um, you know, we'll, we'll all be walking to Heathrow. Apart from you, you'll be tooting as you yeah, um, drive past in your Range Rover. Yeah, it'd be great. Absolutely fantastic. <laughs> I might even take it abroad, actually. I might even take it to France at some point, once that's yes. allowed. You know. So as far as okay. hotel uh, chains are concerned in this country, um, are you aware of any of them opening up as of July the 4th? Oh, yeah. Everybody's going to be opening up on July the 4th. Um, so can I go to the Ritz for afternoon tea? Uh, well, afternoon tea is going to be a bit different. I mean, any, anybody who's not been there, I went there once, cost about 60 quid, but it was absolutely spectacular. It's ridiculous. Also, yeah, they're, always listen, know- they're always listening into your conversations as well. Are they? Yeah. Ooh, Have you not seen crikey. the story about the Barclay Brothers? No, they they were bugging each other. <laughs> I mean, they owned the Ritz, right? But some, some yeah. one of them was in the Ritz having tea, and the other brother was bugging him to see what he was no. talking about. <laughs> Crikey! You don't think anybody's listening Dangerous to us world, now, do you, Mike? Uh, no, yeah. absolutely nobody. Oh. No, <laughs> don't worry about that. that. <laughs> Um, okay, but but uh, no, the, the afternoon tea at the Ritz is a bit of a niche product, although I would strongly recommend it. You have to book years in mm. advance, and quite often you have to accept having your afternoon right. tea at half past 11. But I mean, it's, it's a, it's, but, it's a semi serious question. Yeah. It's a semi serious yeah. question, only because a lot of people do come to, to London and do that kind of ah. thing. It's like a tourism thing, isn't it? Yes. So uh, even yeah, if that, you're, that, say, visiting from York or from uh, Glasgow or Manchester or somewhere, you might want to come to London to, to go for afternoon tea at the Ritz. But yeah, I guess you won't be able to do that yet. Uh, afternoon tea is going to be a bit different um, because they are basically just sort of trying to get people to be able to stay in hotels safely. So there'll be everything from um, you know, social distancing in reception, and they're all very busy now changing the two metre distance to one metre, of course, having done uh, done all their preparation for that. Um, you, you go to the bar or the restaurant, you may well have to kind of book in advance for that. Um, and if, if, if you suppose you're having a enjoying a drink in the bar and you think, oh, OK, I wish to take my ease, you're going to have to go back to your room. Um, rather than use the right. uh, the facilities, there won't be any cushions on those sofas in reception. Won't be any newspapers because that will all spread infection. So it's going to look and feel very different. But the the hotels are just desperate to get back open. Uh, but of course, all the posh five star hotels in London are going to be empty because nobody's coming here due to the quarantine. Well, that's, so, um, that's the problem, isn't it? But it's going to be fascinating to see how it all kind of unravels over time. Simon, hopefully speak to you soon, possibly from Belfast, possibly from the Crown, or possibly from the Europa across the street, the most bombed hotel in the entire world. Uh, this is Talk Radio.
It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. Now, there's an awful lot of reasons to wonder about where we are and where we are going. Because if you look at the front page of the papers today, uh, you've got this on the front of the Daily Mail. Summer is back on. Vast orders uh, is the front page of the Sun, uh, where they've got a picture of one of those guys carrying loads and loads of, uh, of glasses of beer uh, through what can only be described as some kind of beer calendar. We were told yesterday, um, as soon as Boris made his statement in the House of Commons, that basically uh, hairdressers were going to be open from midnight uh, last night in order to start doing people's hair. So if you've managed to get yourself an appointment at a hairdresser's, well done. Uh, the Guardian says, PM hails end of hibernation, but scientists urge caution. Isn't it strange, by the way, that for some reason, the only people who seem to be urging caution are from the left of politics. Now, I don't know why that is. I find it slightly puzzling. Andy Burnham, for example, uh, who was on with Julie Hartley Brewer this morning, the mayor of Manchester, seems to think that the lockdown is a good thing, but he doesn't think it's being done right. And he's starting to make noises about the fact that somehow... Uh, we should be doing it slightly differently. The Telegraph uh, has a headline that says, Our hibernation is beginning to end. The bustle is coming back. Uh, Same goes for the Times. Hibernation is at an end. And it's a picture of Boris Johnson. Restaurants are open with divided screens and cut-down menus. Two households can now meet indoors with overnight stays permitted. Two-metre social distancing rule relaxed to one metre with mitigating measures. Pubs and bars will offer table service only with strict limits on numbers. Wedding services caps at 30 people. Vacations encouraged uh, with hotels, campsites and holiday lets reopening. Haircuts are back on, but nail bars and beauty salons remain closed. Swimming pools and gyms still not allowed to open. Now, I mean, as far as I can see, uh, and I said this yesterday as soon as this was all announced, we are out of it. I don't think people will wait until the 4th of July. There is a uh, rumour circulating around here at Talk Radio Towers that there may well be a show coming from a pub 
on July the 4th, uh, if we can organise that to be done. Uh, because at the end of the day, uh, that is what we will be celebrating. It will be called Independence Day. It is, of course, traditionally Independence Day in the United States of America, July the 4th. But let us now go to Neil Oliver, uh, who is our man uh, in the culture uh, tent, our man who's keeping an eye on the way that we are kind of uh, evolving through this pandemic uh, and this lockdown. Uh, Neil, a very good morning to you. Welcome back. Uh, good morning. I hope there's more than me keeping an eye on what's going on. <laughs> well, I mean, I, 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 put you, I put you firmly at the gate of the Independent Republican Mike Graham, keeping an eye on the sort of culture going in and going out. So it's only a small part of, uh, of the rest of the world, basically. But, but uh, it's been an interesting week because we've sort of moved from, um, I suppose, the, the protests and, and, the, and the violence of the week before to a kind of much more civilised debate, albeit uh, a rather rancid one, about the right of free speech. Well, I suppose everything's always going to come back to this, uh, the, the necessity for free speech. Um, really, I suppose, I, I get almost exhausted by thinking about what free speech may, means. Yes. I think increasingly some people, when they hear free speech, it almost seems to mean freedom from speech. Yeah. I think for some people, free speech means uh, never needing to hear something that you don't want to hear. Right. Uh, but for me, it, it has, it's always, uh, we were talking about this last week, it has to be about the, the freedom to have an ongoing conversation uh, and, to be, uh, and to be able to air your views, however unpalatable they might be to, to other people. Uh, it's like, I mean, for me, no matter how uh, unpleasant someone else's views might be, it's like knowing there's a mouse in your house or, a, or there's a spider in your bedroom. You want to be able to see it. You know, it, yes. it's worse if you just... No, if you know it's there, there yes. you don't like, but mm. you need to be able to see it. Uh, and if you if you discourage people or frighten people or intimidate people into not speaking, they don't stop thinking what they think, uh. and they don't stop doing what they do, and they don't stop acting in the way that their beliefs make them act. Mm. It's just that you no longer have any way of tracking them. They've, effect, they've, effectively, they've effectively been pushed off of the radar screen, and that's a that's a backward step. Yes, you and does that and does that for you does, does that for you, Neil, it mean everyone? Because you know there are there are some in society who will say, well, uh, the the terrible people on the far right shouldn't be allowed to have access to social media, um, but the far left are okay. I mean, do you do you say that as a universal thing? I do. My simple, honest answer to that question is I think it's, it's in the best interests of everyone if anyone and everyone uh, is able to air their views. Mm. Uh, I mean, you don't necessarily uh, give everyone the loudest microphone, you know, transmitting to millions or billions of people. Right. Um, you know, there's, obviously there are people make judgment calls about, about who gets the, the loudest voice, mm. but every voice mu must, in my opinion, be free to speak. Uh, and I don't, I don't mind being offended um, at all. <laughs> it's, right. It's it's part of it's part of how you it's part of how you rub up alongside people in your vicinity mm. and work out whether you can do something with them or whether they're best avoided. Uh, but if if you just drive people into silence, you just make invisible a threat that hasn't gone anywhere. Well, I, you and know, I find it's myself by, it's by engaging. It's by engaging in conversation. If you have, a, if whatever your view is, whatever's going on inside your little head, it's when you uh, discuss it, air it in front of other people, some of whom you know, yeah. some of whom you don't know, uh, the, the 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 corners, the problematic bits of your opinion might actually get chipped off, mm. and you come, you end up coming away from the from the conversation that ensues with a better version of your original opinion. That's that is how we learn yes. as 
individuals. If you're a if you're a party person, uh, I I don't understand how anyone can uh, be- become can see themselves as a member of a group or of a political party and stay there forever. Because if you because you can only do that if you stop thinking mm. and allow the group to think on your behalf, and you then just become a mouthpiece for that group. Yes. But to me, if you if you keep thinking. If you keep asking your own questions and seeking your own answers, then you inevitably think your way right out the other side of the party. But you'll leave the party behind. Yes. Well, see, I find I mean, I find myself sometimes asking myself the question, am I uh, the only person in the world that doesn't actually get offended? Because I find it I find it very difficult to be offended. I mean, I can't remember the last time somebody offended me with something that they said, because, you know, I might not agree with it. I might not think it was a smart thing to say. I might even think it was in bad taste, but it doesn't actually offend me. I don't think um, I don't I don't understand people who are offended by things that people say. No, I think this this drift into ideas of people being triggered and people being mm. hurt uh, by things that they hear is not uh, it's, that's not a state of affairs that we should usefully allow to continue. You, you know, if if you if someone hits you, if someone uh, you know strikes you with a stone or hits you with a stick, then you're you know you're in you're in peril. You know, that, then you're in you're in physical danger. Mm. Yes, might, might might end up with you dying. Yeah, but but no matter what someone is is saying, airing in the public domain, it doesn't actually hurt you. And as, and as long as it's out there in the public where everyone else can hear it, mm. then you needn't be at threat from it because you can challenge what it is that you're hearing that you don't agree with. And if you speak uh, f- fluently and, and logically and you make a reasoned argument, then you will find support and so that you, you won't be alone in opposing uh, that opinion which you don't agree with. Right. I'm not even, I've lost track of what being offended even means, right. really, etymologically. I mean, just not agreeing with someone is not a bad thing, and it won't do you any harm. No, in it, fact, it, quite the reverse. I mean, I grew up, um, it may not surprise you to know, in a household with two Scottish parents, uh, and all we did for, for a living, it seemed, was argue. But it was good-natured arguing. It wasn't about you know, offending people or saying things that were horrible. Uh, it, was all, it was all consistently about a conversation that just went on constantly. And I learned an awful lot at the hands and at the feet of my parents about that. And it, there's no coincidence that I've ended up doing it for a living. You know? yeah. uh, and, and I think that that's a very healthy way to be. Because I was looking at some of your, the, your, your tweets this week about the whole J.K. Rowling situation and how some authors, who you would think would be the enlightened people uh, who write books for a living... Uh, wanted her shut down, wanted the public publishing company to kind of get rid of her uh, because they didn't agree with something that she said. Well, that would be the antithesis of everything that I uh, would believe. Uh, and, and it's certainly not the way that I would act. And, and I would have thought that people who, who write and want to communicate with words would be the very people who would defend uh, trenchantly anyone else's. Yeah. Right. I mean, I wouldn't, you know, there are also, you know, uh, I don't, I don't know, is there, are, there will be books that have notorious reputations uh, out there. And I would hope that they continue to be published and on the shelves of, mm. of, of bookshops yeah. so that you can go in and be confronted with ideas that you might think are terrible. And you, and you might think that ideas that have to be challenged with, with your very last breath. Mm. But if they're taken away from the, from the bookshops and if the books are burned, you don't know. You don't know what it is you should be disagreeing with. Right. But people don't stop believing what they believe just because they're no longer allowed to say 
and to express what it is that they believe in. It becomes infinitely more dangerous. Mm. To me, it's the, it, is, it is in essence why I am wary of more than that. I'm opposed to any ideology. Mm. I am a non-ideological person because yeah. any ideology is basically uh, an oversimplification it's, a, it's an oversimplified answer to an infinitely complicated set of yeah. questions. And it's also, like... in some ways, it's a prison, isn't it? Because, I mean, the people that I know, for example, politically, who are, who are ideologically based, um, have a certain sort of trigger system of reaction. And if somebody says something which confronts their ideology, they're not really sure how to handle it. No, if you, and if, if you think, heaven help you, if you think that anyone, any one human being, can come up with an ideology which is, a, which is going to be the answer to every question in your future for the rest of your life. Mm. If someone sat down beside you on the bus and said that they had the answer to every question, you know, you would probably do well to drift quietly <laughs> away from that person. Yeah. Because they don't. But ideologies are like, it's like a, it's like a rough map. It's like a very crude map. It's like the things that you used to see that put whatever, you know, some of, them, some of the early maps put Jerusalem at the centre of the world. Yes. And then they had this amorphous shape that no one can recognize any of the modern continents in uh, and it was only by by constant exploration exploration without end that finally the map was finessed and nuanced and we began to see actually where america was in relation to europe and where africa was in relation to the mediterranean and whatever so any ideology be it marxism or communism or any other if, if it's if it seems to be a universal theory of everything an answer to every question then it is by definition wrong and the only hope for humanity, the only hope for civilised society, is for conversations without end. You know, you're talking about growing up in a family where, you, you know, your mum and dad and your siblings and whatever, you just argued all the time. Yeah. That is the way it's supposed to be. And I'm presuming that you're still in conversation with, the, with at least some of those members of your family and, and the wider circle of people with whom you were engaged in conversation. If, as soon as you allow the calcification of your ideas within a, an overarching ideology, then you're in real trouble. Yes. Because it is inevitable that because the world changes all the time and the, the environment is always shifting and the climate's always changing and po political and, and naturally, that you will, uh, situations will arise that the ideology cannot handle. And so an, an ideology is like when you build a sandcastle on the beach. And as long as it's got the wet of the water in it, then it, it's quite secure and solid and it retains its shape. But inevitably, the water drains out of the sandcastle and it becomes a desiccated thing that the wind just blows away. And that's an ideology. You know, it cannot retain its shape forever because a, a way of thinking like that is a dead thing. Almost as soon as it happens, the water drains out of it. It's up to us mm. as, the, as, the, as the inhabitants of the present day, of the here and now, to constantly revivify the ideas and to constantly challenge every ideology and move it forward and keep on finessing it and yes. adding more detail to the map that we have of reality. That's what we're doing by, by having these conversations. We're, we're constantly reaching out, as the ancestors did thousands of years ago. Mm. You know, the, well, the, interesting, the, isn't it? Because like, like our conversation last week, Neil, it takes us back to that tribal thing where some people find comfort in ideology because they feel as if they have a common bond with other people, which, again, is something I don't really get. You know, I much prefer to have my own thought process. I much prefer to do things for myself. I don't wish to seek uh, sort of the solace of a group. I don't like Ooh. to be part of uh, any group, really. And, in fact, if a group forms, I immediately walk the other way. I have that in, I have that in common with you, yeah. Mike. My 
my uh, I, I'm always uh, slightly disappointed if I if I when I was a teenager I used to find out somebody else was listening to the same LPs as me. <laughs> I was always terribly disappointed yes. and it ruined my mute and I had to move on. Right. And I had to find something else that was so so obscure that I could launch into conversations about it and nobody knew what I was talking and what about. Did you, what was the most obscure album you found? Uh, well, pr- probably Tales from Topographic Oceans. Oh, yes. yes. Yeah, I knew that. that I had that one. There, there you the go. Co- you the wouldn't co- have liked me. Thing. There's another one. But I needed... I, I didn't... I was always... Uh, Disappointed, really, when I found when I when I realised that I was becoming part of a group. I, I, the only people that I really feel that I, the only person I feel I represent is me. Yes, Neil Oliver. I, I, I can only speak for me. Right. And 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 then I, I widen that out a little bit to my wife and my kids and my and my parents and mm. my in-laws. But even at that, I can't speak for them. I can't yeah. speak for my for my father-in-law or my mother-in-law or for my mum because yeah. I can only speak for me. And they, they are the people that I love most in the world, and they challenge my opinions all the time. Right. Like you say, I'm constantly... And that's with people who've, who've known me for, you know, all of them upwards, well, some of them for their whole lives, and some of them for in excess of 30 years. Yeah. We're still arguing. Well, this is it. I mean, I've had a couple of instances, funnily enough, this week, which, which have been interesting, whereby I, I, I spoke to Kevin O'Sullivan on Sunday on his show about, about how disappointed I was lately with Boris Johnson and his kind of slight dithering uh, uh, over coming out of the lockdown, which he's now fixed as of yesterday. Um, and people were like, please don't knock the government. Please don't knock the prime minister. We listen to you because you don't do that. And I said, well, I'm very glad that you listen to me. But, you know, I reserve the right to do whatever I want. And if I decide to have an opinion, I'm not going to not have that opinion because you don't expect me to have it. Yes. I mean, there's a, there is an old, there's an old sort of like a philosophical argument that in, in the nature of, a, of, a, of the best kind of friendship, you know, if, if your friend says that they want to walk towards the, the, the rising sun, you should say, well, I want to walk towards the setting sun. Mm. Because if, if you just fall in with somebody else's steps that are not your own, the, the whole thing will eventually deteriorate into a kind of a hypocrisy. Yes. Where one of you is just pretending to go along with mm. the other person. Yeah. And so the, the success is by constantly pulling in opposite directions. It, that's the, it's that tension that provides structure. If you just if you just meekly say I agree with everything I'm being told by the group that I feel I belong to, yes, then you've stopped thinking for yourself and you've stopped contributing. You know, a lot of, I think a lot of people go through life feeling that they don't make any difference. Mm. That as as a humble, ordinary person in the street, individual, they can't make any difference. But that I think is is a very nihilistic way to live. Mm. I think the reality is that with every action that you make, you know, everything you say, everything you do every day is actually shaping the future, even if only in a small way. You know, so, so even if it's just actions as simple as tidying up the, the dishes from breakfast yeah. before you walk out of the door, that means that in the future you're going to walk into the house at the end of the day and everything's tidy. Mm. You see, you can actually make a positive contribution with your every thought, and that's why you must keep speaking. You, must, you mustn't be silenced, not by anyone, not by your partner, right. not by the community, and not by the nation. You must never be silenced. Because that's the ultimate submission. And there's a lot of submission being encouraged at the moment. Yes. You know, people are being encouraged to stop thinking, stop speaking. We know better. Submit to this idea and everything will be all right. And that's ideology. That's the advance towards a utopia. And utopia is a word that literally means nowhere. Mm. Utopia means no place. It doesn't exist. And the only hope is that you keep on having a conversation without end. And the moment that you feel too frightened or that you're not clever enough to speak, then you're finished. Yes. 
And no, I couldn't agree more. The world and your community and your family is and are diminished because you have stopped contributing and everyone can contribute. I agree with that totally. Now, before we go, I must ask you about your sort of area of expertise, a fascinating discovery made um, earlier this week or towards the end of last week in Stonehenge, a ring of large shafts discovered, uh, which people are are, are saying they think uh, had some connection uh, to the boundary of this kind of sacred area. I mean, I used to live very close to Stonehenge. I've always found it quite fascinating. And in some ways, actually, the barrows um, and, and, and other stone circles around the area, in some ways, even more interesting than Stonehenge's. But, but it's a fascinating part of the world, isn't it? Absolutely. I'm, I, I'm really an archaeologist, and, and the Neolithic, which is the period which has gifted us this extraordinary discovery, uh, is the time of the first farming, and I, that, that's the period that fascinates me more than anything else. Mm. Uh, and that we, are still, that we are still learning things about the environs of Stonehenge. So I, I think this, the circle of shafts is actually around Durrington Walls, which is, a, which is a place for the living, really. It's where people lived and feasted during the time of the constant uh, uh, reworking of, of Stonehenge. Mm. And it's almost, it is a, it's, a, it's an embodiment of what we're talking about, Mike, because these places, as far as we can tell, Stonehenge, now Stonehenge was being built and modified for more than, a, well over a thousand years, an, an unimaginable period of yeah. time, and it was never finished. Mm. People eventually found reasons to walk away from it. Likewise, Avebury, Avebury, this massive construction that people were working on generation after generation it was never finished mm. and in all likelihood the, the set of vast shafts around Durrington walls is another project that was never finished but it's a lesson from the past this is a lesson from four or five thousand years ago that these people weren't ever imagining that the job was done everything in the way that they sought to understand the sky above them and the world around them was based on constantly modifying their ideas mm. And that manifested itself in the constant reworking of those places. I mean, closer to home, in a way, the Sagrada Familia, that amazing church, cathedral, basilica Beautiful in place, Barcelona yeah. by Gaudi. Yeah. It was, work was started on that in the 1880s. Uh, Gaudi took over as chief architect and then died in 1926 when the thing was only a quarter right. done. And to this day, it's still being built. And that is the essence of what matters, uh, just in the same way that Stonehenge was never finished and the Sagrada Familia has never been finished, then the conversations that we have with each other about how we understand our place in the world, in our communities, in the cosmos, is endless. Mm. And the moment you surrender to an ideology that says, this is the final answer, the only answer you will ever need, that you walk away from that person and you think, no, there's yet another nuance, yet another adjustment, yet another architectural flourish to be added that will make the picture more complete. And that's, in, in essence, to me, that's what that discovery at Stonehenge or Durrington Walls says. It's a reminder from thousands of years ago that people understood that the, the job was never finished, mm. the answer was never complete, the map was never perfectly drawn. And every word that every one of us utters, logically and reasonably, in the open forum of debate, adds a little bit more information from which we can all benefit. 
Yeah, absolutely. What a great uh, way to end the conversation. Neil, thank you very much again uh, for a very enlightening and illuminating uh, series of things to have said, because we are constantly looking for the answer. Neil Oliver, uh, TV presenter, archaeologist, um, man of great wisdom, I think you would say. Talk Radio, the independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Welcome back to the independent republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. July the 4th is being touted as our own Independence Day. It is, of course, Independence Day in the United States of America. It's a big holiday weekend because they celebrate their independence from the United Kingdom, funnily enough. Uh, We'll be celebrating our independence, hopefully, uh, from this lockdown that we've just been stuck in uh, for the best part of the last three months. Let's talk to Holly Higgins now, regional manager uh, for Lexington, uh, because she is planning to get married on the 1st of August, and hopefully this time it might go ahead. A very good morning to you, Holly. Morning, you're right. Yeah, I I hear you've been trying to get married for a while. Yes, good couple of years. Couple of years? How come? Well, we first booked a date um, a couple of years ago, and my sister were getting married in the same year, so we chose to postpone. Right. So then we got the date of the 1st of August for this year, but then my dad got into hospital earlier this year. Um, So we brought the wedding forward um, so that he could be at the wedding. Right. Um, But then he sadly passed away, so we took it back again. Ah, okay. I'm sorry to hear that. So, so when was the original date then? Oh, it was about four years ago. The first of August we still wanted, but it was about four years ago now. Right. Okay. So that's quite a long time to wait, isn't it? I mean, you must be getting a bit impatient. I'm surprised you haven't gone off him. Oh, I have quite a few times. But, <laughs> but he's obviously managed to get himself back into your good books. Yeah, he's not going anywhere, even though I try. Yeah, okay, well, that's good. So, finally, you can have a proper wedding now. It's been announced yesterday that you can have up to 30 people. Is that going to work for you, or are you hoping for something bigger? Uh, we booked it for 45 for okay. the wedding. Um, but we were, we'd, I'd already sent an email to the registry office to um, ask for an update if they'd gotten there before yesterday's announcement. Right. Um, so we've been told that even though it was announced yesterday that 30... Their rooms may only hold two, either two, five, or ten people. Oh, really? Um, it may be that we have to even go lower than the thirty mark. And so, is it going to be a church wedding? Is it? Uh, where are you having it? No, we've already got three children, so we thought the whole church thing were a bit over the top for us. So we were just going for the registry office okay. and then planned a, a venue for the evening. Um, but that's not going to go ahead now. We're going to do a little, like, invitation for people to come and visit us individually in a back garden and just share a drink with us. Oh, OK, so it'd be quite casual. It'd be quite nice then. You won't have to worry about the numbers then, will you? No, no, we're just going to open it up, but just obviously ask people to give us a certain time slot where they're going to be around and so that we can just make sure that we're sticking to the two-metre rule. Right. So it'd be quite good fun, though, won't it, after all these, after all these years? Um, has he been and got uh, the wedding ring sorted out? No, still no wedding rings. Um, What's he doing, this bloke? What's wrong with him? He actually said last week, like, we really need to get some rings. So um, (laughs) I think he's going to be on the cards for this weekend once we've had confirmation that the wedding's actually going. Yes. Well, I suppose the problem as well has been until about, what, last week or the week before, you couldn't actually go to a jewellery shop because it wasn't open. Yeah, it's it's just been crazy. Like we've we've I've already got some flowers to like make my own bouquet and stuff because I'm I'm quite handy like that. Okay. I like to do my You sound own. like the perfect bride. Well, literally, I've got everything here, but it's, I've literally got like five weeks to get it all right. set, set into place, get okay. the dresses and, and stuff. And are, are the kids going to be involved? Cause are they old enough? Um, my eldest is 14. Okay. And I've got 
11 and one at 8. So, yeah, they've, they're very much going to be involved in getting everything organised. That's nice. That would be nice. So what about any chance of a honeymoon? I guess that's a bit tricky, isn't it? Well, that's another thing. We've got the honeymoon all... Well, we're calling it a family moon because we was all going away together. Right. Um, and that was booked for the 3rd of August for this year, but we booked with Thomas Cook, so that actually fell through last year. Right. <laughs> So things I'll tell you what, I mean, you know, if this all works out for you and you manage to stay married, you'll be doing well, because so far it hasn't been going very well, has it really? <laughs> I thought, before the, the announcement yesterday, I actually thought it was destined that we were never going to get married. Yeah, right, yeah. It was someone somewhere telling me not to marry him for some certain yes. reason. Yes, yeah, people just keep throwing things in the way. But listen, well, listen, have a, great, have a great day, and uh, I'm sure it will be fun. First of August as well is a nice, it's a nice kind of date to, to celebrate uh, every year as a kind of wedding anniversary type date. Yeah, I think the first of the month, especially like it being a summer month, hopefully we're going to be guaranteed a little bit of a nice weather. So, yeah, fingers crossed. Yeah, well, I'll tell you what, if you wake up on the 1st of August and it's pouring with rain, you might just want to pull out of it. Yeah. It, that'll be the final I, omen. If I don't see a bit of light coming through the curtains, <laughs> I'm just going to stay in bed. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Brilliant. Well, listen, congratulations and good luck with it all. Hopefully, maybe we'll talk to you after the uh, uh, the wedding and see if it all went well. Holly, Holly Higgins, uh, regional manager for Lexington, um, has been trying to get married for four years. Can you imagine that? And uh, every time something came uh, and got in the way of it, now finally she gets to the idea of going uh, down to uh, uh, the registry office, get it done. And then suddenly COVID-19 breaks out and just, you can't do anything. You can't buy any uh, rings. You can't get any flowers organised. You can't book a hotel. You can't go on honeymoon. I mean, I take my hat off to her that she's been so um, single minded about actually making it all happen. Extraordinary stuff. Talk radio across the UK, online, on DAB, and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday, on Talk Radio via DAB, online, or via the Talk Radio app. And if you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us on 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.